All right, well, let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So as we're continuing on, we're almost to the end of 2 Kings. And as we're continuing on, we're going to see that once we leave Kings and go to Chronicles, we're going to get a, an expanded version of kind of what First and Second Kings looked like. But we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. We saw the transition from Manasseh to his grandson, Josiah. And we know that Manasseh was, you could argue, the most wicked of all the kings, certainly of all the kings of Judah, and he's in competition with Ahab for all the kings, period. And then you see his grandson come along, and we, we, and we see the example that we've seen so far in Josiah. If you were here last week, I talked about a growing walk while living in a lost world, doing what's right in the Lord's eyes. Our walk should grow stronger over time, rediscovering the Word of God. Remember, the Word of God had been lost. We're going to talk about more of that tonight. And we're going to see that, and I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but we're going to see Passover being reinstated. And it says in Chronicles that they had not celebrated the Passover since the time of Samuel. So literally hundreds and hundreds of years that they had forgotten about the Lord. So they lost the word of God. When we get away from the word of God, we no longer walk with the God of the word. We talked about asking God to speak to you through the word and to know God is always faithful. So if you have your outline for, for uh, tonight, I tell the message, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, that's the only 401k I'm worried about. How about you? The only one that I'm concerned about is standing before the creator of the universe on judgment day. And I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we're going to see Josiah tonight as we know who was a godly king. And we're going to see him uh, act in a, in a great way, but he's not going to finish quite like we would hope, unfortunately. But I know that no doubt he heard those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we're going to see some things that take place in tonight's chapter that move toward hearing those words. First of all, we're going to see that a faithful servant starts with the word of God. You know, if you do not read the word of God, you cannot be a faithful servant to God. Now, I'm sure there's an exception. If you got stranded on a desert island in the middle of nowhere and you didn't have a Bible or you were in a country 400 years ago that didn't have Bibles, God would speak to you. But today, God has given us this Bible. Amen? And we have it in our hands. And you hear me say it, read the book, don't wait for the movie. We need to be in God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, you can't be on the right path if you don't know where the path is. And you know how you know where the path is? You read the Bible. God's word gives us direction. It gives us instruction to know the heart, the mind, and the will of God. Number two, a faithful servant goes beyond knowing what the word of God says and he puts it into action. We know in the Bible it says to obey is better than sacrifice. And so the good news is, as believers, that not only does he give us his word, but then he gives us the Holy Spirit who will help us and equip us to obey the word. So as believers, you know, if you read through the Bible in a year, but you don't, you know, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count, amen? If it doesn't impact the way that we live, then again, we haven't really absorbed the word of God the way we should have. Number three, God has a plan for you. 
We're going to see this in the life of Josiah, but God has a plan for you and me too. I believe before the foundation of the world, I know it's true, that God knew, God is sovereign, God is in control, God knew where you'd be today, God knew the things you would go through, and God knew how he could use it for his kingdom and for his glory. He knew that the suffering wouldn't be wasted, he knows that the joys and the blessings will be, will be multiplied, and God will use it for his glory if you will but let him. So God has a plan for your life, and here's my question for me and for you, are you walking in that? Are you being faithful to the calling God's placed upon your life? Number four, a faithful servant makes worship a priority. We're going to see that in tonight's text, again, where worship had kind of been lost. And again, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The things you invest in and where you spend your time and how you spend your time is a reflection of what's a priority in your life. And worship is something that, again, should be reflected in the life of a spiritually mature believer. Number five, a faithful servant knows that judgment is coming. We should live every day in light of the fact that we will stand before the creator of the universe. We should also live every day knowing that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Amen? And so we could be raptured. And I'm saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm ready right now. Let's go. We didn't have to finish this message. We can get the rest of this in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? Let's just go to heaven. But until that judgment comes... Until the church is raptured, until God righteously judges the earth, we've got a calling on our lives to reach people that need Jesus. Amen? To know him and to make him known. Again, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Number six, a faithful servant finishes strong. The only way we can finish strong as believers is if we never get full of ourselves, if we never think we've arrived, if we remain humble, broken, and desperate. You know, I just realized, I was looking through my mom's diary. My mom died uh, this, this last March or May, I can't remember now. But when my mom went to heaven, we were going through some of her books and she has these five-year diaries like January 1st in 67, 68, 69, 70, 71. And so I was flipping through it and just kind of, and I found out that I got saved on February the 3rd, 1968. So that means I've been a Christian for 54 years today. Now, what's amazing about that, I still got a lot of growing to do. How about you? Can I get an amen to that? The closer we get to the Lord, the more we recognize how much further we have to go, that we don't ever feel like we've arrived. I feel like, you know, I, I love the Bible. I study the Bible. I read the Bible. I've, I've been teaching the Bible for 33 years, and I still feel like I'm about two feet deep in the ocean when it comes to the Word of God. Amen? So we must never come to that place where we think we know everything, but we must come to a place where we remain humble, broken, and desperate, that we might finish strong for the Lord. And then finally, a faithful servant prays for the next generation, that they will love and serve the Lord as much or more than we do. The thing I want most is for my kids and my grandkids to love the Lord more than I do. Amen? So let's begin there in 2 Kings 23. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Point number one, a faithful servant starts with the word of God. It says, now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. Remember that they had rediscovered the word of God. And you remember that uh, his prophet came back, Shaphan came back and read it to Judah and now, or Judah, excuse me, Josiah. And Josiah now has the word of God. 
having the word of God in his hands? Does he stick it under his pillow? Does he, you know, set it on his bookshelf and forget that it's there and let it collect dust? No, what does he do? He knows that there needs to be a change within the kingdom because of all the ungodliness that was taking place, all the idolatry. And so what does he do? He gathers up the leaders in the city. He draws them together. And the first thing he's going to do is read to them the word of God. See, Josiah knew God's righteous judgment was coming. He did not respond with indifference or simple contentment that he would not see the judgment. Remember last week he was told by the prophetess that he would, that judgment was coming, but he was going to die before it came. And it would be real easy to say, well, I'm not going to be here for it, so I'm not going to worry about it. And as Christians, we shouldn't be that way. Well, hey, you know, you might not think the rapture's anytime soon, but even if you're not going to be here for it, we should live every day like it could take place anytime. And here's what he's going to do is he's recognizing, look, I may not be here for the judgment, but people will be. And I want to make sure that the time I've got left, I'm ministering to people. And the best way to do that is to begin in the word of God. At this point, we're now at 622 B.C., Daniel will be taken captive in 605 BC. So we know that the judgment is coming. It's not far off. We're 18 years into the reign of Josiah. He's only got 13 years left. And that's right about the time, not long after that, the captivity will come from Babylon. So the first thing he wants to do is gather the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him so that he can pour into them and he can deliver to them the word of God. Even though he knew, again, the judgment would not come until after his death, Josiah wanted to do all he could with the time he had left to turn people's hearts back to God. And so too, you and I live in a time. Does our, does our world deserve judgment? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. And so do we. But by the grace of God, we've been forgiven. Amen? And we've been redeemed. But our country, our world right now is so far away from the Lord. Most of the, most of the world we live in today doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. And we need to pray for them. And that's, that for the grace of God was each one of us. And so we need to love those people unconditionally. And we need to love them enough to tell them the truth. So we too must be focused with the time we have left to turn our hearts to the Lord, to turn our hearts toward the people around us and turn their hearts to the Lord and to finish strong. So how do we begin? Look what it says in verse two. So the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, with all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So here's a great king. He brings everybody in all of Jerusalem together. He begins with the elders and all the leaders, but then he brings all the people, great and small. He gathers them all together and he opens up the Bible. Now, at that time, the Bible for them was the Septuagint, the Law of Moses, which was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These other books were still in the process of being written, but he's opening up the Bible and he's reading it to his entire nation. Can you imagine... If instead of a State of the Union address, wouldn't it be awesome if our president just came on, they blocked out every television station and every radio station, and our president just read the Bible from one cover to the other? How amazing would that be? Well, that's exactly what's happening here. He's recognized how far away the people have gotten from, the, from God because the Word of God had been absent. And he knew the thing that would fix it is to bring the Word of God back to his people. 
You know, our schools could use the Word of God bring back in our schools. Amen? It would be great to have the Word of God back everywhere that it belongs. And so that's exactly what Josiah is doing. He's like, how do we fix this? I know. We're going to read the Word of God. And we're going to let everybody know it. It begins with the teaching and reading and the studying of God's Word and seeking the Lord. And he read every word of the book. Now, one of the things he would have read is Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20. And here's what it says. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from one before the priests and the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all his words of this law and his statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel." Here's what happens. What it's saying to the king, the king has to have his own copy of the Bible and there were no printing presses anywhere near there. And so what did he have to do? Take a copy from the priest or the Levites and handwrite out his own copy. Can you imagine, you know, I've, I've thought of that at some point. Can you imagine just taking your Bible and rewriting another Bible? I'll tell you what, it would take a long time but I bet you've spent enough, enough hours watching Netflix that you could do it. Can I get an amen? But the reality is that imagine writing it down, and I love to handwrite, I still handwrite my notes, because there's something about, you know, it, it, you, you absorb it more when you're writing it down. So the king would write it down, and then he would carry around the Bible that he, that he copied himself. And it says there he's to read it every day, that he might walk in the fear of the Lord, that he might turn, not turn to the right or to the left. See, he would know where the path was. He would know what he was called to do because he'd be reading the word of God and the word of God would give him direction. See, prior to Josiah and them finding the word of God, no wonder Israel was such a mess. And now they've been carried captive over 100 years earlier. And now only Judah remains. And now they're in trouble and judgment's coming because they have walked away from and had not been reading or studying the word of God. You know, it's sad that even churches today, Many of them have gotten away from the Word of God. I'm really excited. I get asked a lot to go speak at conferences, and I'm going to be doing a men's retreat up in Santa Cruz, but it's for a church in Sacramento. It's not even a Calvary Chapel. And they reached out to me, and I was on the phone with these pastors on a Zoom meeting. And just, I just love talking to pastors that love the Bible. Amen? And talking to these guys and just pouring my heart into them and wanting them to, how excited I am to come and minister to their guys uh, next month. But I'm looking forward to it. But guys, it's, it's that focal point. Let's get back to the word of God. Let's make the word of God the priority. We need more of God's word and less of ours. Amen? Obedience starts with the word of God. The king needed to, to be reading the word of God all the days of his life so that he would learn to fear God and do right, the right thing. Getting on the right path always starts, again, with the knowledge of where the path is and the path is found in the word of God. You and I need to read the word of God every single day. You have no excuse. We have Bibles on the back. If you don't have one, it's your, our gift to you. Go grab it. Take it home. Grab one of those yellow things and start reading it. And I promise you, it will transform your life. Josiah was so impressed by what the word was saying that he in turn read it to the people. To point number one, faithful servant, a faithful servant starts with the word of God. It begins with the word of God. Faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. Number two, a faithful servant goes beyond knowing what the word of God says and puts it into action. Verse three, then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book and all the people took the stand for the covenant. So it's one thing to read the Bible and it's another thing to commit to, to surrender to the word of God, to be submitted fully to the word of God to surrender your life to the Lord. The word covenant there was literally where they would take animal, to an animal and they would cut it in half and you would pass through it. And it was a sign that this commitment you're making before God, that if you, if you fall away from this covenant, that what happened to that animal would happen to you. So it was a very serious thing that was taking place here. And I love that the king is leading by example. He makes the covenant with God before the people, and then all the people stand up and agree to the covenant as well. This would be a picture of what it's like when someone gives their life to the Lord. You're being, you've been born again. Maybe you've read the word, you've heard about the word, but now after hearing the word, it has pierced your heart, and now you're ready to commit your life to the God of the word. The word of God has made you fall in love with the God of the word, and you're ready to surrender your life to him. This is kind of one of those Jeremiah moments when all the world was in, you know, in chaos and when most people were not walking with the Lord, Jeremiah stood up and basically challenged them. And then he said, you know, basically paraphrase, you guys can do what you want, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And that's exactly what's taking place. Remember his grandfather is Manasseh. Manasseh was the guy having literally orgies in the temple, temple prostitutes, sacrificing their babies on the altars, you know, the burning hot hands of Molech. He was as godless as they came. And now here's Josiah standing up after getting rid of all those idols. And he stands up, proclaims the truth of God's word. And then he makes a covenant to obey the word of God, to make it the priority and the passionate passion of his life. And all the people did, did as well. This is, they did in, in this in response to the example and leadership of their king. We don't read him commanding them to do it. By the way, you can't command anybody to get saved. I wish we could, that'd be great. Just walk into the room with my kids, I command you get saved, I command. You know, go to your grandkids, go down to the mall and just grab people and they're walking by. You know, it'd be great. But we can't do that. It's a, it's, a, it's a choice that we make. God's given us free will, amen? And I wish we could. But they saw the example, and there was no command, but in a spontaneous way, they followed the king's example and leadership. Josiah brought about reformation among the people. And again, we're going to see, sadly, that in some cases, the change is only going to be on the outward. See, some people will walk an aisle and pray a prayer and spend eternity in hell. There'll be people that walk an aisle and pray a prayer and get baptized and will spend eternity in hell. There'll be people that walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and go to church every Sunday for the rest of their life. And we'll go, because guys, it's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to make an outward statement that you believe in God. You must surrender your life to the Lord. You must invite the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. You must be born again. Amen? 
And not all that out. And so we're going to see, sadly, that some of these people that are making this covenant, when we get to the end of the chapter tonight, are going to fall away. Again, during Josiah's time, Josiah's time, the nation got rid of all the, of all the idols. Praise God for that. He's going to rule 13 more years, but after he's gone, we're going to see that many go back to their old way of life. Your walk with God should not be dependent on anybody else's walk with God. Now, what I mean by that is, yes, we want fellowship, and yes, we need people to disciple us, and we should be discipling others, but if all of you walk away from the Lord, and I pray none of you do, but if all of you walk away from the Lord, I'm not going anywhere, and that should be our our heart for every one of us, amen? Amen. And too often what will happen, a pastor will fall and then people will walk away from the church because the pastor fell. Well, then your focus is on the pastor when your focus needs to be on Jesus. And the exhortation here and the encouragement is he made a stand. The people saw it. They followed his example. But again, it needs to be something that you choose to do on your own. In Acts chapter 2, all, you, you, we've seen God do this. It's a move of the Holy Spirit where a lot of people get saved all at once. And God can do that. It says in Acts 2, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts chapter 4, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke, spoke the word of God with boldness. And then in Acts 10, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. So, It's hearing the word and then making a conscious decision to surrender your life to the God of the word and then living your life for the Lord, walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and being used mightily by God. So the king's right with God now. The leaders are right with God. The people are making a profession for the Lord. You might expect to see a mighty move of God. Look at verse four. It says there, and the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal and Asheroth and the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes to Bethel. So they made this commitment to the Lord. So the first thing they do is they clean house. They go into the house of the Lord and all the things that still remain within the house of the Lord that are godless, Asheroth, Baal, all the worship of all the false gods, they bring all of it out, all these false gods out, they put them in a pile and they set them on fire. And you know what? Some of us, you've given your life to the Lord. And again, we're not being legalistic, but as God moves on your heart, you might want to clean out some things in your house. Amen. You might want to get rid of some some access to some things you shouldn't be looking at. You might want to get rid of some things in your home that are taking your eyes off of God, that are causing you to stumble in your walk with the Lord. And here they are. They've given their lives to the Lord. God's doing the work. The Holy Spirit's moving, and they go in and they clean house. They remove all the idols out of their house, out of the Lord's house. Again, there were idols dedicated to Baal and to Asherah and all the hosts of heaven. And Josiah begins by the reform by cleaning out the temple. Now, Kidron to Bethel. Kidron is a, if you've ever gone to Jerusalem, or hopefully we'll get to go again, or or we're all going to get there at some point. (laughs) Amen. You won't have to fly on a plane. It'll be good. Amen. But 
The brook Kidron runs right along the outside of the, of the gate that goes in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, so the Mount of Olives is here and Jerusalem's over here. The Garden of Gethsemane is at the base of the Mount of Olives. We walk over the brook Kidron to get there. So when Jesus was crucified, when he was arrested and then he was crucified, they were shedding the blood of all the lambs for Passover and all the blood of the lambs was in the brook Kidron. So the lamb of God was walking over the blood of the lambs. And then when he was arrested, he walked back over the blood of the lambs. Well, the Kidron flows. And what he said is they took these ashes, they burned them up, and they threw them in the Kidron, this, this creek or river, whatever you want to call it. And they threw them in there. And then they were carried back to Bethel, which is where Jeroboam had begun uh, false worship to the golden calves. And they took all this, these ashes from these idols and they poured them out where they were worshiping false gods. It was to defile what they were doing and show their contempt for these false gods. Then it says there, now watch this. So he gets rid of all the idols. We've already talked about that. He gets rid of all the idols, but notice what it says in verse five. Then he removed the idolatrous priests who the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the city of Judah. In the places all around Jerusalem, those who burnt incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellation, and to all the hosts of heaven. So not only did they remove the idols, they removed the people that were, that were it, it, ushering people into worship of false gods. They were being removed. And we're going to see that later they were put to death. Jews' reforms did not only remove sinful things, but sinful people that promoted sinful things. You know, we, we, we get a little too comfortable with sin. Can I get an amen to that? It's so easy just to be like the world and act like it's no big deal. And again, I don't want to be legalistic. It's between you and the Lord. But we should desire to live holy and set apart lives. Again, the word of God, the commandments of God are not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a, it's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. God's not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm. And if we obey the Lord, we'll be blessed. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. These idolatrous priests were responsible for these sinful practices. And any thorough reformation cannot deal only with sinful things. It must also deal with sinful people. And if sinful people are not dealt with, they will quickly bring back the sinful things that have been removed. If those priests had been left alone, they'd just be going out and making more idols and dragging them back in there. And somebody had to make a stand and say, no, we're not going to do that. As Josiah might say, as for me and my people, we are going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By the way, let me just say this as parents. My, my kids growing up, it is not a congregational rule in your house. Amen. We're not taking any votes. And as long as they live in my house, I will look at your phone. I will open your mail. I will look at your stuff. I will go through your drawers. You have no privileges here. You live here under my roof. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, kids will say, well, my kid has to have privacy and I want him to have, you know what kind of privacy, what, what privacy does when you give a 13 year old a phone? Be careful. Amen. You got a pornography in your house, digital crack as pastor Joshua calls it. And we need to be, and so look, we need to take a stand. Here's what Josiah is doing. No, we're, we're going to honor God and we're going to remove all the idols and we're going to we're going to deal with the people who are leading people into idolatry. We're going to remove them because I do not want them taking God's family back into that false 
worship. It's time to take a stand. It says in verse 6, it says there, and he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burnt it at the brook Kidron, ground it into ashes, and threw the ashes onto the graves of common people. That might seem odd, but what they were doing is if you touched anything that was dead, you were defiled. So what he was doing was taking the ashes of these false gods and showing how defiled they were by throwing them on dead bodies. He was making it very clear to anybody that was watching, I'm not afraid of these gods. These gods don't exist. And he's just taking them and shaming them, if you will, after he burnt these false idols. One of the things that Manasseh had done was to make Asherah poles and actually put it in God's temple. And now he's taking the pole, he sets it on fire, and he throws it onto the uh, remains of dead people to um, defile them. Verse 7, not the people, but the ashes of the false gods. Then it says, Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the wooden images. Now, this is going to be real blunt. It's in the Bible. Perverted persons, in this case, means homosexuals. And what he's saying is, there was homosexual activity taking place in the temple as an act of worship to one of these false gods. And they equated that to worship. So we see in the house of the Lord, perversion was taking place. And so how does he respond to that? He removed the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord. And then the women would weave these hangings of the wooden image of Asheroth. And a lot of times it was male phallic symbols and hanging them in the temple in Jerusalem, in God's house. Tragic. Now, I had this question just yesterday. When people find out you're a pastor, they love to bring the question that they think will stump you or they'll tell you what they're mad about. And I had someone say to me, so I've got this friend that's in a committed relationship with the same-sex marriage, and if they live their whole life together and love each other, you're telling me they could go to hell but somebody who's a mass murderer and prays to ask Jesus to, to forgive them can go to heaven. And they were, I think they were looking for a long answer. And my response was, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, that just doesn't seem fair. I said, well, here's the problem. You're making some of these people good and some of these people bad. They're all bad. And they're all sinners. And they all need to be forgiven. Amen? And she says, well, all you Christians really cap on, on homosexuality. I said, well, look, homosexuality, the Bible says it's sin, it's wrong. God created Adam and Eve, one man with one woman for a lifetime. Do we love homosexual people? What's the answer? Yes. Of course we do. We want to see them saved. Amen? Yes. We love them. We want to pray for them. I have homosexual coworkers. I go on sales calls with them. I love on them. I pray for them. I want to see them saved. Because guess what? Fornication, adultery, lying, gossip, pride, those are all sins too. Amen? Amen? So we want to see everybody saved. But the one thing it does say about perversion like this is there's a hardening of your heart, a searing over of your conscience if you can participate in that and feel no conviction. Well, that was taking place in the temple, in the house of God, on the, you know, on the altar at the church, if you will. And guess what? Praise God for Josiah that he removed it. He took all those ritual booths and removed them from the house 
of God. He's going beyond knowing what the Word of God says, and he's taking actions. Josiah is having a war against sinful behavior. He's not going to let it stand. Verse 8, he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the the high places where the priests had been burning incense from Geba to Beersheba. In in, uh, Israel, there's a term that's used a lot, from Dan to Beersheba. That's from the northernmost part of Israel, when Israel and Judah were all one nation. And the southernmost part is Beersheba. Well, Geba is the most northern part of Judah. So he says from Geba to Beersheba, he's literally saying every square foot of ground in in Judah, all the idols were removed. All the false gods were removed. There was not one left. He destroyed and took them all away. It says he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. When we just, again, so he described the nation. He's removed all the false gods, verse 9. And it says, Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among the brethren. There were Levitical priests who had been offering worship, and they were doing it to false gods and in illegal high places. And Josiah did not allow these men to come and lead worship through sacrifices in the temple. He did not allow them. He did allow them to eat unleavened bread with the other priests. So he he said, "Look, you could still be numbered among them, but you're not going to lead anybody into worship because you have failed. You're no longer in ministry." You're disqualified because you're leading people in the wrong direction. You need to be careful just because somebody has a title before their name or they wear a certain kind of a robe or they're in some kind of a position doesn't mean they speak for God. Amen? Get it? What do we do? We compare anything that comes out of the mouth of a man or a woman. We take it and we compare it to the word of God. Amen? The word of God is the authority, not the words of men. Look at verse 10. And he defiled Topheth which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Molech. Now we talked about this last week. The word tof there is a, speaks of a drum. And so Molech was the, the god, the goddess of fertility or the god of fertility. And what they would do is they would light up, they would make their, the, these iron hands as hot as they could get them. And then they would take newborn babies and set them on these bronze or silver hands of, the, of this false god, and they would burn to death. And what they would do is, the word says Topheth, it's a drum, and they would beat this drum to drown out the screams of the babies that they were setting on fire to worship their god of fertility. And Josiah's like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're getting rid of those gods. Well, guess what? We're trying to get rid of that god in this country right now. It's called abortion. Amen? And we need to keep praying for it because we are having babies be sacrificed in the, in the name of convenience or, right? You want to you have unprotected intimacy with someone and then you want to take the baby. By the way, we should never kill babies for the sins of their mother and father. Amen? And you know what? We as Christians need to be unashamed of that. And so it's interesting. It says there, it talks about the Valley of Hinoam. In, in, in Hebrew, the word is Gehenna. It's used 12 times in the New Testament, and it's translated hell. Amen? So this place where babies were being sacrificed and burnt, this place where this ungodly worship was taking place, they referred to in the same word that we would use for hell. Verse 11, then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun, 
at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. These horses and chariots were used in some kind of pagan ritual honoring the sun. You know, the Bible tells us in the last days men will worship creation rather than the creator. Well, it's always been to some level that's been the case. And even now, you know, again, be careful. Things like horoscopes, you know, what a bunch of nonsense that is. And it's literally demonic. Amen? And I've got people that go to this church right now come to me and say, when were you born? Oh, you're a, you're a this sign. Oh, I knew that you were that. I said, oh, have we met? I'm just curious. <laughs> have we met? Are you kidding me right now? And, and by, guys, people look at the stars. And how stupid is this? People will look at a star and say, well, you were born, the stars were this way, so tomorrow at 3 o'clock you're going to meet a redhead. Right? Right? That's the stuff in astrology, right? Nonsense. Guys, we don't want to look to the stars. We don't look to the one who put them in the sky. We know the creator. We know the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He spoke the word into existence. Why would we look to the stars when we can look to the one who created the stars? Keep your eyes on him. Amen? And so they, were, they had these horses that they used in worship, and so they just removed them. We're not worshiping the S-U-N. We're worshiping the S-O-N. Amen? Then it says in verse 12, the altars which were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh, remember him? Which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized them. I love that the word pulverize is in the Bible. I just think that's awesome. They pulverized all these false idols. So those were on the roof more than likely as a worship to the stars. And so here they are, all these idols worshiping the stars, worshiping the sun, worshiping sex, worshiping everything under the sun, but the true and living God. And praise God for Josiah. He reads the Bible. He recognizes false gods for what they are, and he's cleaning them all out. He's not taking a vote on it, and he's not asking for anybody's permission. He's obeying God with reckless abandon. Praise God for Josiah. Amen? And we need a little more of that today. It is thought that Ahaz had built these altars, again, to worship the stars and the planets. It says in Jeremiah 19, who was a contemporary of, of this time, by the way, the houses on whose roofs they burned incense to all the hosts of heaven and poured out drink offerings to other gods. He pulverized there and threw the dust into the brook Kidron. Verse 13, then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were in the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Asheroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Shemesh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Amnon. Now, Ammon, you know what's amazing to me? What's, what's Solomon? When you hear Solomon's name, what do you think of? What is it? Wisdom. He wrote most of Proverbs. Solomon. When God said, he, God said, what do you want from me? He asked for wisdom. But this just goes to show you that even the wisest man who ever lived, if he walks in his flesh, is an idiot. Can I get an amen to that? Because what is he doing here? He was building altars to these false gods after he'd built the temple to the true and living God. Solomon, what are you doing? He also had a thousand women. That's another problem, Amen. So here he is, supposedly a wise man, but this just goes to show you how foolish we are compared to the Lord. 
The Mount of Corruption, this is the southern part of the Mount of Olives. And Solomon had built, again, Ashtaroth. And Solomon's wives are the ones that had turned his heart to these foreign gods. This is why you're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. See, he, would, he could have any woman he wanted. So he would see a pretty woman. He would just say, get her for me. And servants will go get her. And she might be from a land where they worship Asheroth. And before you know it, to please his wife, he's building an altar to Asheroth. And he finds, oh, they worship the prophet Baal or they worship Molech. And so what happened was Solomon was putting up all these altars to please his wives, his ungodly wives who were pagan and didn't know God. And this is why we should never be unequally yoked. Amen. Because you're going to fall into the trap. And by the way, guys will do anything to get a pretty girl. Amen. Guys, amen. Guys are liars. They're liars. Oh, you're, you, what are you? You're a Mormon? Oh, me too. Yeah, I'm a Mormon too. Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you believe in Molech? I'm in. You know what I mean? And this is what guys do. And Solomon did it. The white, there's proof. Solomon's the wisest man on the planet, and he did that. Amen? And that's why it's good to take your time uh, to find out where somebody really is spiritually. Amen? By the way, if you're a woman that goes to this church and your dad doesn't live nearby and you need a substitute, <laughs> let's go to dinner and we'll have a little chat. Can I get an amen? <laughs> because we want to watch out. I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring some big guys with me. Amen? So here we see that the Mount of Corruption, Solomon's building these false gods and these false idols. And it says in verse 14, and he broke in pieces, this is speaking of Josiah, sacred pillars and cut down their wooden image and filled their places with the bones of men. He took the places where worship was taking place and poured dead bodies there to defile the places of worship. The hopes would be that they would never be able to worship those false gods ever again. If you look in Chronicles, you'll find Josiah actually started cleansing the land in his eighth year. It says, for the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded, Im the molded images. It's now 10 years later, and he's continuing to rid the land of all the false gods. So when I said that if I were elected president, I would eliminate all the buildings that worship all false gods, me and Josiah, we'd be bros, man. We'd just be buddies. That's why I'll never be elected president. Don't worry about it, right? So the lesson here is he read the word. He saw what the word said. It transformed his life. He committed his heart to the Lord. And then he rid the land of anything that was contrary to the word of God. He removed it. He didn't make apologies for it. He stood up for it. We may not be able to do it for the country, but as I said a, a few moments ago, you can do it for your own home. Amen. You can do it for your own walk with the Lord. You can cleanse your phone. You can cleanse your house. You can take away those things that are causing you to stumble in your walk with the Lord and make a stand for the true and the living God. And praise God for Josiah and his heart to make that stand. So point number one, well done, thou good and faithful servant. A faithful servant starts with the word of God. And the faithful servant goes beyond knowing what the word of God says, and he puts it into action. So now he's, he's been taking the action, 
And, you know, again, when we immerse ourselves in God's word, one of my favorite Bible verses is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When you open up the word of God and you read it, it's going to change you. It's not like any other book you read. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, that's what is right, for reproof, uh, for, to, to correct what is not right, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all of scripture is written for us. Leviticus is as inspired as Luke, amen? We want to read the whole counsel of God. And again, I encourage you, grab one of those yellow things on the way out. There are plenty of things, again, that in my own life that I have grown through, but as a Christian man, as I continue to read the word of God, I continue to grow in my relationship with the Lord. Point number three, God has a plan for you. Look at verse 15. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel's sin had made, both that altar and the high place, he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burn the wooden image. Now, if you'll remember, when Israel and Judah were separated into two nations because of what Solomon had done, the 10 nations to the north, Jeroboam was their king. And what he did, because he did not want, he did not want the people to go down to Jerusalem to worship because he was afraid they might not come back. So what did he do? He built altars in Bethel and put an altar in Bethel so that people could go there, and in Dan, so they could go there and worship and not have to go all the way to Jerusalem. So they made worship easy. And instead what they did is they put up golden calves, but they said there were golden calves that represented Yahweh. Well, guess what? When you get to heaven, God is not a golden calf. Amen? But they put it up, and they were worshiping. Now, they've been there. That's been 700 years or so now. And what do they do? He goes back, and he tears them all down. They sat there and they survived king after king after king after king. Now, I want you to know something about this. These, al these altars, these idol places where idols worship is in Israel. And Josiah is only the king over Judah. But the Assyrians by this point are not as strong as they once were. And I don't think Josiah really cared because he knew that these things were causing people to worship false gods. So he even left Judah and went up to Israel and tore them down and burnt them up and set them on fire. So guys, we should be, again, it should start in our own homes and we shouldn't be ashamed to reach out to others, again, who are worshiping false gods. So the altar at Bethel, again, Bethel, oddly enough, means the house of God. You know, in the Bible, El means God, Beth, house of. You know, Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus was born there. He's the bread of life. So Beth, again, means house of. El means God, house of God. And there they're worshiping false gods in a place referred to as the house of God. Now watch verse 16. Here's where we come that God had a plan for Josiah's life. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words. So he read in the Bible, in the Septuagint, that when you had dead bones, on a place, it defiled it. 
Worship can no longer take place there. So what does he do? He not only destroys the altar, but he gets dead men's bones and puts them on top of this place to say that worship can never take place here again. Now watch. Josea, again, isn't the only one that God has a plan for, but watch. So God had a plan to use him, and he knew that, that 300 years earlier it had been prophesied that this would take place. I quoted this last week. Let me quote it again. It says in 1 Kings 13, 2, then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. This is a prophet. And he said, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord, behold a child, Josiah by name. Is that specific enough? This is 300 years before he was born. Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And 300 years later, a man by the name of Josiah does exactly what it says in the word of God. That means that God had a plan for Josiah's life 300 years before he was born. You know what? God has a plan for your life too. Amen? And we don't want to miss it. We want to be in the center of it. It says in Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. The word there is poema. We're like a poem. Uh, his made things, his works of beauty. God has good works, which he has already set up ahead of time for us to do. All we have to do is find them and do them. I think we need to be careful about thinking that God can't use us because that's certainly not true. Amen. Some of you here might think, well, I'm, I'm not that gifted. You have gifts that other people don't have. And all of us are equally called and gifted by God. And you have at least one gift. I believe all of us have multiple gifts and we want to be faithful to use them for the Lord. Verse 17, then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, it's a tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things, which you have done against the altar of Bethel. So there's a tombstone to the guy who prophesied that Josiah would come and do this. And 300 years later, when Josiah does it, he sees the tombstone of the prophets that prophesied that he would come there. Verse 18, and he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Out of the respect for this anonymous prophet that prophesied about Josiah by name, he desires to honor him by not digging up his grave. Now, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria. Again, Samaria was the capital of Israel at that time. And he's taking down all the idols in Israel, even though, again, Judah is many uh, miles away. He's traveled outside of his land. So it was the kings of Israel made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds that had been done in Bethel. He, now watch this, verse 20. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burnt men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. Now people read this kind of stuff and they don't like it. You know, I've had people that fellowship here and they, they, they call me up. I read next week's chapter. I'm not coming. I saw that they're going to be burning up people, man. That ain't right. What kind of God does that? Well, let me ask you this question. These men have been leading tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people away from the true and living God and into an eternity separated from Almighty God. And God judges that behavior. Amen? It's not okay. 
God doesn't just look the other way when somebody takes those that he created in his image to have a relationship with them and draws them away from the true and living God. And no doubt, each of these people that are doing this have made a conscious choice to do this, and God has even tried to draw them unto himself. But eventually, again, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? And that's exactly what's taking place here. Righteous judgment. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. So well done, thou good and faithful servant. Again, a faithful servant starts with the word of God. A faithful servant goes beyond knowing what the word of God says and puts it into action. And that God has a plan for you. Again, it was spoken of 300 years before he was born. There's not a doubt in my mind. You know, most of you guys know this. I pastored a church in Santa Cruz, I would say from the pulpit all the time. And, and this more proof of my fallibility. Amen. I don't claim like the Pope to be infallible. Amen. But here's the reality is I would say from the pulpit, I'm going to stay here till the Lord comes back. I will baptize your grandkids. I'm not going anywhere. And that was certainly my heart. And then we had some issues, things with my family, my health being in the hospital, all that stuff happened. Did God know that was going to happen? What's the answer? And then God knew we would be here. And if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have met all you lovely people. So praise the Lord. Amen. So sometimes the things that, that we think are taking us away from God's will, God knew before the foundation of the world, let's just be faithful to the Lord. Amen? And let's be faithful right where we are, not looking for another place. Number four, a faithful servant makes worship a priority. Look at verse 21. Then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God. As it is written... In this book of the covenant. So not only did he rid the nation of the idolatry and the false worship to false gods, but he's going to reinstate the Passover, which is uh, an, an act of worship to the true and living God. Amen? When they did Passover, what were they remembering? They were remembering their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. When the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, amen, and the angel of death passed over, and they were delivered out of bondage. And it really is the Old Testament picture of redemption. And so what he's saying is, for all these years, it goes all the way back to 1 Samuel, we know this from the time of Samuel, we know this from the Chronicles, that nobody had observed Passover in hundreds of years. King David, Solomon, all those kings, no Passover. You know what that would be like? That would be like if the church in America just stopped having communion for 400 years. Because what do we do when we have communion? We're remembering the cross of Calvary. Amen? As often as you do this, do this in remembrance for me. For them, Passover was remembrance of their deliverance out of bondage. And because they were so caught up in the world that they had ceased to worship or to, to honor the true and living God and remember what God had delivered them from. And so not only is he ridding, so guys, maybe we have to rid our houses of some ungodly things, and maybe what we need to do is put back in some godly things, amen? To replace the ungodly with the godly. Take down all the idols, and let's start worshiping the true and living God again. Some of you might want to get rid of that collection of songs that curse God's name and get some Christian music. Can I get an amen to that? Just something as simple as that, but to, uh, that's what happened to me. I was at a concert when I was 18 years old, last, last, one of the last concerts I ever went to. I was with a bunch of my friends, and this is before, the, you know, the only Christian music back then was like love song. <laughs> it's like, it was like pretty hard to find, you go to the Christian section of the album, like there's three of them, right? 
And everybody on there was like 60, right? And you're like 17, like, really? And you finally get Amy Grant and you play it till it warps, right? But what happened was I went to this concert and, and, and this guy gets up and he goes, we're going to record this. And he goes, and then he goes, let's run everybody. I want to hear what you have to say. And he goes, who here likes to get blanking high? And everybody's holding up their signs. And, and I'm, I'm standing with my friends. We're all Christians. I'm looking out at this. I'm like, this is hell. They're holding up their lighters, you know, ah, people are holding up bongs or shouting. I'm like, what am I doing here? And I, and I looked at my friends. We were in three different cars. We were 100, what, 50 miles away. And I went and said, I'm leaving. Three of my friends got in my car and I was working at a record store at the time and had about 200 albums in my house. And I was so convicted, I took those 200, I should have thrown them away, but I took them all, drove over to my friend's house, put them on his doorstep and went home. And played Amy Grant till the thing ran out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else. Slow train to come up. Bob Dylan, got to save somebody. You know, right? I mean, that's what I have. But the point is that when God does a move in your heart, they're like, why am I listening to this? I want to worship the true and living God. And this is, you know, and, and you can use, well, I like to beat. Oh, no, nah. Let's honor Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Let's listen to things that bring glory and honor to his name. So that's exactly what he's doing. Is he's like, look, we're going to bring back Passover. We're going to start having Passover again. The people don't even know what Passover is. Josiah reads the Bible. He sees what Passover is. We're going to do that. Now watch. It's such, verse 22, such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Praise God that Passover was brought back. Praise God they were going to remember again how God had delivered them out of bondage. Praise God that this godly man, hearing from the Lord, reading the Bible, reinstated what nobody had been doing for hundreds of years. And we need people like Josiah to stand up and reinstitute that which is godly when nobody else will. Entire generations were biblically illiterate. They were driven by flesh-driven worship to these false gods. They had abandoned true worship, and he brings it back. It says in 2 Chronicles, there had been no Passover kept in Israel like this since the days of Samuel. So Samuel was time of David. No Passover in all those generations. Some of the people that lived, King David, Solomon, Jehoshaphat, Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, godly men, and all those generations had gone by. So simply... Going back to the word of God and faithfully obeying, he had destroyed altars to false God. He had put false prophets to death. He had reestablished true worship. I wonder what's going to be next. Look at verse 23. But in the 18th year of the King Josiah, the Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists and household gods and idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, and he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. He finds the word of God. He gets rid of all the soothsayers, all the, you know, the psychics, all the false teachers. He removes them. They're put to death. They're gone. Why? Because what are they doing? They're drawing people away from the true and living God to the false gods of this world. And one of two things is true with psychics and people like that. They're either complete phonies making it up or they're being given information from the devil. And when being a phony is the better of the two, you know you're in bad shape. Amen? And so he just removes them all. 
And guys, we too need to make that stand, certainly in our homes, and pray for our nation. Those are consulted mediums. I told you a lady across the street after our son Mark died that one of the things my wife has been, has been praying for, and God's answered that prayer, by the way, that God would just give her a vision of our son in heaven. You know, because it's heartbreaking. He died, she didn't get to see him. They covered him up, they brought him out. And, you know, your mom's heart, I just want to see a, a, a glimpse of him in heaven, whether it's a dream, whatever. God, you can do that. We prayed for that, and God has done it. So praise God. But the lady across the street came over, and she's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm a hypnotist, and I can, I can, you know, bring your son into the room. You know, no. <laughs> Not interested. Can I get an amen to that? And it's easy to fall into that trap, right? It's easy to run to the world for answers when we should be running to the Lord. Verse 25, now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did arise any like him. That's pretty awesome to say of all the kings who have ever lived before him or after him, no one was like him. And notice it says heart, soul, right? You know, like heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Giving it all to the Lord. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Josiah was such a man. You know, we're to give God every part of our being. There are people that are very emotional and have an emotional relationship with the Lord, and we should. But we need to not just have an emotional relationship where we, where we weep and we worship God, but we need to also have an intellectual relationship by knowing what the Word of God says and studying it and reading it. Can I get an amen to that? And then we need, on top of, of not just our worshiping God with our brains and, and also worshiping God with our, you know, our passion for worship, but we also need to have a heart of, of love for the Lord that desires to walk in accountability before him. So we give our, our, our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our being, we give it all to the Lord. And some people, well, I'm, I'm really into apologetics, but I don't like to worship. You know, I, I'm really into accountability and hanging out with other people, but I'm really not into, you know, studying the Bible. Guys, we're called to do all of it. Amen? We give them our mind, our soul, our strength. We give it all to the Lord. There was no king like him. Now, you would hope for Josiah, could have just ended right there. Probably be helpful. But even Josiah, who just was described in this way, let's finish up. A faithful servant knows judgment is coming. Now, love this. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah, because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house for which I have said, my name shall be there. So even though all these godly things were taking place, righteous judgment was still coming. God had postponed it. If you guys were here last week, remember he postponed it for the sake of Josiah and said, it won't happen until after you die. But guys, just because we see a revival and we want to see a revival, it doesn't mean that the judgment's not going to come. Amen? And so we should live in light of that and recognize that judgment is still coming. Because of the wickedness, the vileness, they're turning their back on God. Again, judgment is coming. You know what? Our God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Now look at this sad end here, verse 28 to 30. A faithful servant finishes strong. Unfortunately, that's not what happens with Josiah. Look what it says. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria 
to the river Euphrates, and the king Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he had confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoraz, son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Now, when you go over to Chronicles, here's what's happening. There's two main powers on the, at the world this time. See, it's, it's the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are rising in power. They're going to be the runs that come and take Daniel and everybody captive, right? So Babylonians are rising in power and Assyria sides with Egypt to try to take on uh, Babylon. And, here, and we know from Chronicles, I'm reading the rest of the story, I'll just paraphrase it for, you, for time, that Josiah thinks, well, we'll just go attack Egypt and then the Babylonians will see us as friends and they'll leave us alone. And we know from Chronicles, it says that he puts on a disguise. Josiah disguises himself so when he goes out into battle, he might be kept safe. Well, a bow, an arrow gets shot into the air and it kills Josiah. Now, if he knew he was doing the Lord's will, he wouldn't have to put on a, a disguise. Amen? You know, as believers, we don't have to walk around and, and hide our faith and keep it to ourselves and be ashamed of the gospel. And people, we well, you know we're Christians, but we don't have to be so loud. Oh, yeah, we do. We should speak it up. We should be unashamed of the gospel. Amen? And sadly, we see that Josiah, and it, it, if you go back to Chronicles, we'll get there. The king, even, the king of Egypt says to him, you shouldn't come out against me. Your God's already told me you're going to die if you do. This is a paraphrase. And then he does it anyway, and he does die. And so even Josiah, this man who was the most righteous king and the picture of the best king ever, ever, guys, there's only one true king that's perfect, and he's the king of kings. And his name's Jesus, amen? And even Josiah. So this is true of all men. That's why I don't, I don't, put any, I don't want to put anybody in a pedestal because we all blow it, amen? We all, we all, nobody wants our worst, our worst hour of the last month to be shown to the church on a video, amen? Because <laughs> we're all sinners, and praise God for his grace. Let's finish up. And then it says in the last, the last uh, point there, a faithful servant prays for the next generation. Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king. Now what's sad is he's not the oldest son of Josiah. And the oldest son should have become king. But when, again, when you look in Chronicles, he's the one that the people cried out for. And we're going to find out the one that the people cried out for. It's kind of like when they cried out for Saul instead of David. They cried out for the one that was going to feed their fleshly desires, not the one that was going to continue in Josiah's behavior. He says he was 23 years old and he became king, and he reigned how long? Three months. In Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutha, and the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all his fathers had done. Are you kidding me? Did we just not? We saw Manasseh. What a train wreck that was. Josiah comes along, he gets rid of all the idols, he moves it all out, he restores worship to the true and living God, he's having Passover again, his son becomes king, and he's putting all the idols back up. The kid needs more than a swat. Can I get an amen? Unbelievable. But this goes to show we all have free will, don't we? God has no grandchildren. Now, Pharaoh Necho put him in prison. This is his son. 
at Riblah, the land of Hamath, and he, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. So they went and fought the Egyptians. They lost. So now they're taxing them heavily. They've thrown uh, the king into jail. The Pharaoh Necho made Elikim, this is another son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah and changed his name to Jeho- Jehoiakim. And the Pharaoh took Jehoaz and went to Egypt and he died there. So he takes his son that ruled three months. He takes him to Egypt and his life ends there. So Jehoiakim gave silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. So here's somebody who's aligning with an idol-worshiping, ungodly king instead of standing for the true and living God. Again, that next generation is just not following through. Exactly the silver and gold from the people as an assessment. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zerubah, the daughter of Padala, again of Ruma. And he did what? Evil. Evil in the sight of the Lord and according to all that his fathers had done. You know, there's this hope, and we all have it, that if we raise our kids in a godly home, that they're going to grow up to love and serve the Lord. And isn't that what you want more than anything else in your life? Can I get an amen to that? If, you could, if the Lord said, you can have anything you want, one thing, I want all my kids to love Jesus. I want all my grandkids to love Jesus. I want them all. I used to say to my kids all the time, if you're digging ditches and loving Jesus, I'll be the most blessed dad on the planet. And if you're CEO of a company and not walking with the Lord, I'll be the most miserable man on the planet. Amen? And here's the sad thing. Josiah was such a godly man and his sons are so ungodly as, you know what? We need to be praying, faithfully praying for that next generation. Amen? Pray without ceasing. However much you're praying for your kids, pray more. Pray for your grandkids, pray more. We want to see them walk with the Lord. So in closing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Again, a faithful servant starts with the word of God. Getting on the right path requires knowing where the path is and the path is found in the word of God. A faithful servant goes beyond what the word of God of God says and puts it into action. Again, we saw that Josiah read that these things were heretical and he did something about it. He saw that the Passover was gone. He put the Passover back into place. God has a plan for you. It was prophesied 300 years before Josiah again went to Bethel and and destroyed the, the altar there. And God has, before the foundation of the world, had a plan for your life. And he wants to use you. And if you don't know what it is, ask him, Lord, show me. Open up the word, pray about it. By the way, let me just say this. A burden is a spawning ground of a calling. You can drive by 500 callings on the way home. A burden, which something, you, you know, when people come up to me and say, you know, we really should have this ministry. Great. You want to start it? Amen. Because when you have a burden for something, when you see that there's a need for something and you're losing sleep over it and you're thinking about it at night, and man, we really need to do this. These, we need to minister to this set of people. You know what? That's a, that's a spawning ground of a calling. That's God stirring you up. And I want to encourage you, dig a well and see what God does. Amen? Step out in faith. If you're waiting for one of the pastors to come tap you on the shoulder and ask you to do something, probably not going to happen. Because if we call you, we got to sustain you. We want God to call you and God will sustain you. Amen? Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's finish up. And then a faithful servant makes worship a priority. You know, uh, where your treasures there, your heart will be also. Don't ever lose sight of the cross. Again, going back to Passover. Uh, a faithful servant knows God's judgment is coming. 
See, we need to love people enough to, to warn them about the judgment to come. Be more worried about their eternity than whether they like us in the here and now. A faithful servant finishes strong. The only way we're going to finish strong is we, if we stay on our knees. If we stay humble, broken, and desperate. If we ever think we've arrived, we're going to fall. And then finally, a faithful servant prays for the next generation. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. I know this is a lot tonight, a lot of verses a lot of historical stuff, but Lord, we know it's in your word for a reason. Lord, I pray that you would move on all of our hearts tonight, beginning with mine. Lord, show us. We want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We're not trying to earn heaven. We don't deserve it. But Lord, we want to be a tool in the hand of our master. We want to be used for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, I pray for everyone here tonight that you would just encourage them and strengthen them and stir them up. How do you want to use them, Lord? What plan do you, did you have for their life before the foundation of the world? Help all of us, Lord, to seek to do your perfect will for us. Help us to be godly husbands, godly wives, godly fathers, godly mothers, godly workers, employees, godly neighbors. Use us wherever we go for your kingdom and for your glory. If you have more for us, show us, Lord, and help us to step out in faith. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...